group energy. Uh, mm. That keeps me calm, in fact. Mm. Yes, there definitely is a group energy. And uh, certainly how we uh, support each other's practice. And, uh, and uh, sometimes it's nice to hold that in mind when we sit together as a group that we are um, giving to each other, that, that we're sending the, uh, the compassion to each other each moment. In the, uh, the Zen tradition, um, there are basically two, um, there, there were originally five houses of Zen in China, and two survived, and they're called, who knows what they're both called. Rinzai and Soto? Yeah. So the, uh, both the Rinzai and the Soto schools of Zen originated in China, but the, um, they survived in Japan, and um, the Zen that we inherited in the West comes from the Soto and the Rinzai schools. The Rinzai school, uh, and, uh, so as you're probably all aware of now, that the, uh, if you like, Zen is all about the uh, realizing our true self, our essential nature, and then integrating that into our everyday lives. And, uh, but the Soto and the Rinzai schools give slightly different emphases to that. So the, uh, the Rinzai school is often known as the Koan school. And the, uh, in the Koan school, a great emphasis was placed on uh, experiencing Kensho or Satori. So some of you would have come across those words, Satori or Kensho. It's what probably Zen, what, what attracted most Western students to Zen to begin with, the idea of having um, uh, this um, um, amazing mystical experience and, um, and um, realizing the, uh, the essential oneness of the universe and the emptiness of self. And, uh, and then in the, uh, the and also in the Rinzai Koan school, the, uh, the, um, the, the basic understanding was, the training was then going through a whole series of koans. There's lots and lots of koans. And in a lot of uh, traditions, there's at least probably 500 when a student will uh, go through with a teacher. And the idea is one cannot really understand or pass through these koans without having experience of Kensho or Satori or essential nature. That particular practice of Zen was also um, taken into one of the most well-known lay uh, schools in Australia called the Diamond Sangha. And um, the Soto uh, tradition um, um, had a different emphasis. And they emphasized sitting uh, with the understanding that uh, we're already perfect and complete just as we are, manifesting self just as we are and that there's no need to uh, push for some Kensho or Satori experience. Um, and their emphasis was on just sitting, uh, shikantaza, or silent illumination. One of the, uh, um, a Japanese teacher who was in the Soto school called Uchiyama, um, who spoke some English and his books were quite influential in the West, although he never came to the West. He died in about 1980 or so. He was once asked, um, 
what is a bodhisattva? A person who's a bodhisattva. Someone, a person who is a, a bodhisattva, someone who's a walking the Zen path, oh. someone who's had some experience. Bodhisattva. Um, the um, the um, the bodhisattva uh, in uh, the Mahayana tradition was like um, the sense in which um, one could only have salvation or realization if everyone else did. So the mm-hmm. sense in which everything was interconnected. So that's why the vow of the bodhisattva is to awaken all beings because um, it's not just about me. So it's not just about me getting to heaven or me having mm-hmm. the final realization. And uh, he thought for, anyway, so a student asked him, what is a bodhisattva? And he thought a little bit and uh, he replied, oh, probably a grown-up. <laughs> so um, even though um, in both traditional Zen, uh, Japanese Zen, whether it's Rinzai or Soto, if you, if you go to a Japanese teacher, um, they may have some interest in philosophy, but... Um, Apart from Uchiyama, who had some sense of developmental awareness, um, most traditional uh, Japanese uh, Zen and Japanese teachers would not place much emphasis on the the psychological dimension of practice. Mm. Um, It's all very much um, the the teachings, the sutras, the chanting, the ritual, the mindfulness, the way in which one relates to everything, but like there, there was no sense of so it's only through Zen coming to the West and through teachers such as Joko Beck and others that um, we have um, developed an understanding of the importance of the psychological dimension of practice. Um, one of my uh, mentors, um, a Zen teacher called Fred Sparks, neatly um, sums that up with. Uh, uh, describing practice as waking up and growing up, and that the two need to go together. That um, the uh, the so-called like spiritual experiences of waking up um, are are not going to um, be that helpful unless they're also uh, uh, combined with an uh, emphasis on on growing up. So the growing up emphasis is on the developmental aspects of our practice, and um, the um, <clears throat> so, for example, in um, in, in traditional um, uh, Zen practice, the the, the stages of realizing the self, the true self, um, 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 are, 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 are quite well described in a 12th century uh, woodblock prints known as the ox herding pictures. And um, the, I should probably get these photocopied because they're quite lovely. Um, they're, um, but in the, the and they're quite well they're quite well known in the Zen circles. But um, so you, when you, when you when you go through the ox herding pictures, um, the um, the ox traditionally a sort of a sacred animal in India was taken, but a very common domestic animal in Japan 
what's taken as the symbol for um, for awakening or for realization mm -hmm. of the true self. And the uh, the first ox herding picture has a um, basically a, a little guy who's wandering through the woods um, seeking the ox, um, and. Uh, and it just states basically the ox has never really gone astray, so why search for it? And, um, and that's a very good actual koan in itself, that question. That was a question that Dogen himself, um, I mean, you might want to ask yourselves that question as to um, if the, uh, the self is always present and has never gone astray, then why do I need to sit in meditation every day? Um, but it goes on to say, having turned... Um, um, his back on true nature, the man cannot see it. And because of his defilements, he has lost sight of the ox. So in traditional, classical sort of Buddhist tradition, we speak in terms of these defilements like greed, hatred and anger that we get caught in and they, they prevent us and they keep us separate. They get, uh, we, uh, we lose, we get disconnected from the ox at a very young age. And uh, as it states here, greed for worldly gain and dread of loss spring up like searing flames. And eventually he, uh, he finds some tracks and he discerns the tracks of the ox. <clears throat> and uh, so he's uh, on, on, his, on his finding his path. And just a couple of things I wanted to mention about that. Um, one thing I forgot to say last two weeks ago um, was the importance of what in Zen is referred to as awakening the way-seeking mind. And the, the way-seeking mind is basically the mind that's, that's, that's the mind that seeks spiritual awakening um, as opposed to um, um, uh, a big house or wealth or fame or fortune or the uh, next partner or so on. And the way-seeking mind so often comes out of great difficulties in our lives and when it finally arrives uh, that's, that's, the, that's the mind that brings us to a particular practice. And um, one of the things I mentioned last week and what I'd like to do this year is um, for some of you when you're ready to give a little talk, uh, in the Zen tradition we have this thing called way-seeking talks or way-seeking mind talks. But basically uh, uh, you give a little 15-minute talk about um, 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 your, your journey through your life, your spiritual journey, and uh, what brought you to this place here and now. And so the way-seeking mind is what then helps us to find the path. And um, I'm just quoting here from this um, book by Jack Cornfield, which I highly recommend, called A Path with a Heart, which some of you may have or have seen before. It's a very good book. And um, of course, the, uh, the notion of the path with the heart comes from the old uh, Carlos Castaneda books. I don't know if anyone, if anyone here was uh, into that in the 70s. But I, anyone got into Carlos Castaneda in the 70s? Yeah. 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 You were sort of looking for your spot on the veranda, trying to find it. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and mushrooms, etc. Well, anyway, just to quote the old Don Juan books, um, he says, uh, Carlos Castaneda put it this way, um, Look at every path closely and deliberately. Try it as many times as you think necessary. And then ask yourself and yourself alone one question. The question is one that only a very old man asks, or I suppose a very old woman as well. 
My benefactor told me about it once when I was young and my blood was too vigorous for me to understand it. <laughs> Funny way of describing it. Now I do understand it. I will tell you what it is. Does this path have a heart? If it does, the path is good. If it doesn't, it is of no use. And for many of you who are aware perhaps of um, people who have... Um, work with people who are dying. Um, the, uh, the one thing that uh, someone who's dying, uh, the really the only question they have is, um, have I loved and have I been loved? And um, the same thing. Um, so the idea of finding a path with a heart um, is central to our practice. And um, so, um, in the uh, in our the ordinary mind uh, school, um, Joko was quite aware that um, in her experience, the koan system that she was trained in uh, was in some ways uh, lacking, um, because um, even though one may sit many uh, sessions, and uh, when we are younger, we can do that. Uh, and, and even have more than one enlightenment experience uh, of breaking through to essential nature and the, under the experience of the emptiness of the universe. Um, it doesn't necessarily transform character or psychological depth. Uh, it's, it's, it's helpful in um, giving us some insight into the essential nature of the universe, but it doesn't necessarily transform us psychologically. And uh, there's a story that um, Jake Cornfield tells in this book, which basically captures that idea. Um, so we go. Um, so remember the. Um, oh, um, Jonathan, if you could just. Steve, you could pass those ones. This is the old triangle again, which I handed out last time. Can you just pass, keep one passing along? Um, it's just a very simple way of um, making sense of all this Zen jargon. Um, it's probably just another. Um, but the triangle is a very nice way of uh, holding it together conceptually and experientially. Um, so, like, so the realization of emptiness is on the right-hand side of the triangle. That's the experience of no self. So the, the, the self on the left-hand side is the ego-centered self, or the separate self, and the, the realization of no self is, uh, is what would happen in the Satori or Kensho experience. And then the true self is the integration. Um, the unique integration of those two aspects, uh, our unique self and no self, coming together as the true self. Um, and one of the problems with uh, the, even we can get caught in the right-hand side of the triangle just as much as we can get caught in the left-hand side of the triangle. So just as much as we can get caught in delusional states of being, we can get caught in enlightened states of being. And uh, so, and this little, this little story captures that. A final confusion around emptiness can appear when we imagine that in feeling emptiness we are impervious to the world or above it all. 
Now, this, this sense of being impervious to the world or above it all, um, often we may approach Zen practice as a way of finding final release or ending of suffering. Um, uh, it's a kind of curative, what my teacher Barry called a curative fantasy. Um, in fact, uh, it's, it's not that um, uh, problems uh, don't go away through Zen practice, but problems become less and less of a problem. And so just go back to the story. So, um, a samurai who believed who believed this came to a Zen master. So a samurai who believed he'd, he'd, had his, he'd had his Kensho or Satori experience and he felt impervious to the world and above it all. He came to the Zen master and boasted, the whole world is empty, it is all emptiness. And the Zen master answered, ha, what do you know of this? You're a dirty old samurai. <laughs> and threw something at him. The samurai, in an instant, drew his sword. <laughs> he was truly insulted. And an insult to a samurai is made at the cost of your life. And then the Zen master just looked up and said, Emptiness is quick to show its temper, isn't it? <laughs> That's and, uh, cool. The samurai understood, and the sword returned to its scabbard. Mm. So, even though we may have these enlightening experiences, um, the path um, to integrating that uh, lies in rigorous everyday practice in terms of getting to know ourselves from the inside out and also from the outside in. Um, so one of the things that Joko used to say, like in, so like in traditional Rinzai or Kohen Zen practice, they would say, you know, the teacher would be very concerned to verify the student's Satori experience. In fact, in those days, they used to parade, they used to make an announcement at the uh, at the end of session, who'd had their enlightenment. Yeah, so we'd all clap Alex here <laughs> for her enlightenment experience. And um, so, you know, what Joko said, rather than, rather than seeking, you know, verification of these kinds of experiences, what's probably more important is uh, asking your wife or your husband or your partner who doesn't practice Zen, has there been, have you noticed any changes? <laughs> has his temper got a bit less? You know? <laughs> That's the way to do it. Yeah. Because I can cling to that enlightened experience, I can really think that it's, it's been something special and now I have a breakthrough on yes. information, so therefore I can cling to that. Who has it? Stuff. <laughs> yeah. Good one, Alex. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so the um, so the important uh, so what we stress in ordinary minds and practice is the um, is working um, with um, all those uh, parts of ourselves that are a bit problematic, or and getting to understand them, and uh, the whole process of gaining. Uh, self-understanding and self-acceptance and uh, and uh, and that in itself uh, as we do that we start to get a realization or an understanding of of what this emptiness is all about uh, so think of it like this so if you think of uh, you know there's no silence sorry there's no sound without silence so there's no self without no self and so as the sound arises out of the silence self arises out of no self 
You can also think of it in terms of self being story and no self being no story. And um, you can think of it in terms of the left hand side of the triangle, anger arises, and we are that anger. On the right hand side of the triangle, we're always not that anger. There's always a negation there, there's always we are not that at the same time. There's always that space around it. It's the same thing that's chanted in the Heart Sutra form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Self is no self, no self is self. And, but it's the realization of this as we start to work with ourselves uh, in our everyday life that we do start to develop. Uh, uh, so rather than thinking of, of enlightenment as a one off event, think of enlightenment as a developmental, gradual process mm. of enlightening. So as we go on this journey, hopefully we become more enlightened in the sense of enlightening. We, we carry ourselves a lot less lightly, we respond to the ups and downs of life with a lot less lightness. We respond to insults with more lightness. Right? Think of it like that. Okay.